0: This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Joey Cassio was the first coach that LAFC ever hired. And unfortunately, he was also the first to leave. This interview is the first time that Joey has publicly talked about his time with LAFC's Development Academy. And it's also the first time that he has outlined the chain of events that has led him to the position he currently holds with Fram Soccer Club, one of the oldest and most well-known clubs in Southern California. Now, I'm fortunate to work alongside Joey at various points throughout the year, but we honestly don't talk to or see each other enough. Throughout this conversation, you are going to hear us reference ideas and text messages and tweets that we've actually sent back and forth to each other over the course of many months, but we haven't had time to discuss them, and we use this as a platform to do just that. We've both been keeping a closer eye on the atrocious defending throughout MLS during the beginning of the 2018 season. And we've also been keeping a closer eye on some of the soccer media members who like to throw jabs at American soccer fans who simply believe that this country can be doing so much better than it currently is and historically has. So those are just two fun topics that Joey and I converse about, or not converse, but we, we actually just text each other back and forth about quite a bit, and this is the first time we've jumped on a phone call in a while, so you get to hear us have a real conversation about some of this stuff that we, uh, that we find interesting. And towards the end of this conversation, we actually talk about some of the practical tips for recording training sessions and games and even halftime talks, and using that video and that audio that you capture as tools to help improve yourself as a coach. This was absolutely one of uh, the conversations that I've been really looking forward to having, and I'm super excited that I got a chance to record this conversation that I had with Joey, and I'm super excited to share that with you. And if you are a new listener to this podcast, or in case you forgot, just a reminder that all of this is made possible because of your support as a member of the 343 Coaching Education Program. That is the program which actually funds this podcast. So if you are a member in the Coaching Education Program, not only are you getting an education that transforms you into a far better coach from the guys that have gone through that transformation themselves and are now considered among the top in the country but you are also helping to sustain and develop this podcast if you are not a member and you're wondering what a 343 membership can offer you it is the complete online resource that will help you reduce your trial and error time and help you get right to the work that matters you learn the cutting edge training techniques that have been proven to develop better and smarter players better and smarter teams and better and smarter coaches the 343 Coaching Education Program gives you insider access to exclusive videos of training sessions and full games, with additional education from ebooks, audio interviews, question and answer sessions, and online forums for networking and collaboration with other coaching members. To learn more and to explore all of the benefits of becoming a 343 Coaching Education member and to help support this podcast, you can visit 343coaching.com. That's the numbers 3, 4, and 3, Coaching, all spelled out.com. All right. I hope you enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Joey Cassio. Yo, all right. Can you hear me?
1: Yeah. Can you hear me?
0: Perfect. Yeah. I. Could. I'm a, cool. i have to be like a wizard with like all this new sound equipment i have <laughs> so, yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's bad dude it's bad i have no idea what i'm doing really yeah how long yeah. have you had all
1: the new equipment uh
0: well so i've had i've had the same equipment before but gary bought me my own i was borrowing everything from a friend who's like a sound and audio kind of guy uh, yeah. but gary just bought me my own stuff last week and so there's only Uh, one thing that there's only one thing that's different it's just one cord but i also never touched anything once the guy set it up for me so um this is (laughs) i had to redo everything myself (laughs) yeah so exciting stuff
1: learning on the job dude
0: it's the best way man yeah (laughs) all right so what's up i'm already recording (laughs) okay yeah
1: not much man not much got the new project going on so just getting settled in and trying to uh, get the correct players and all that so that we can start building something special man i'm excited uh
0: what what is the new project because i I know what it is but people listening uh aren't going to know exactly what you're up to so maybe you can give them like a Crash course and what Joey Castillo has been up to for the last six eight months.
1: Yeah, so um, last year I was scouting for the Galaxy Academy, and I was you know I was hoping that that would turn into an opportunity to coach because at the end of the day that's what I love to do. You know I love to coach. Um, I put in time. It didn't quite work out. I think the timing was a little bit of uh, of an issue, which. All good. You know, I had to make a decision uh, on what I wanted to do in the next, you know, three, five years of my career. So I decided that I would move. So I took a job uh, in January. I started at Fram and I'm coaching the 2006, 2004, and 2002 boys uh, first teams because we have multiple teams at each age.
0: Got it. So and... it's been, it's, oh, go, go ahead, go ahead.
1: It, it's been, uh, you know, going into a new club. I, I want to get an understanding of how they operate, kind of the, the culture and the structure of everything. So it's been a learning process and also, you know, trying to make sure that I build the rosters uh, in a way that, you know, I can implement my, my view of soccer. So, you know, that can be, I can be a daunting task uh, and it, it, it had to happen in, in a short amount of time. So it's been, it's been pretty busy for me, but uh, so far so good, man. I, I'm really enjoying it over there.
0: Do you feel rushed right now? Like you said, it's been a short amount of time, but like, is there like a deadline for you to like hit certain performance goals or do you ha- kind of have like a little bit of a, a little bit of slack to, to build the way that you want?
1: Yeah, it, it's been a little bit of a rush, you know, like the timing of how they, the club wants the rosters to be set up and and it's pay to play, of course. So, you know, there's financial structures in place that I have to make sure that uh, we're okay financially with, with the club and all that. So it's, it's been trying to balance uh, you know, players that were already there as well as bringing in players that I've been recruiting and whatnot. Uh, So it's been, it's been a lot of work crammed into a few months, but, I mean, I love it, man. I, I love that part of the job. It's been fun.
0: I I'm curious. I'm gonna I'm gonna change the conversation right away because I wanna address your text message to me last night and see Sure. And see where that see where that takes us right away. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, see you said uh I'm trying to remember exactly what you said, I think it it, it started off with nothing nothing is off limits for this conversation. And I'm curious yeah. what I'm curious what prompted you to to text me that.
1: Uh, you know, I think, uh, in years past, I've been pretty quiet and I haven't really shared all the details of, of my story, but, you know, after the last three, four years of my career, you know, I, I, I feel it's important to, to just be completely honest with things that are going on and do the best that I can to help people understand, uh, and, and learn from, from my experiences. So, yeah, I, and if nothing's off limits, I'm not going to, I'm not going to hide anything. I'm not going to, you know, beat around the bush and try to walk on eggshells or anything like that.
0: <laughs> it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because I think I texted you last week and, and said that I ran into, uh, John Thornton and he asked like how you were. And I said, like, yeah, I think he's over at Fram now. And, and John was like, Oh, Fram, like that's the club that I first started at. And I was like, Oh, what a, what another weird little connection that, that you guys have. Um, yeah but uh what what's the biggest so far what do you you think the biggest difference is between what you're doing at fram versus what you were doing uh i guess it would be two jobs ago so at lafc when you kind of had a blank slate with the u12s and you were you were building the first team in lafc history so what's what's been the biggest difference in in those two building processes so far
1: yeah different different cultures man you know uh in the MLS, it's it's more professionalized. You know, the, the expectations are different. And now with the new project, it's, you know, I have to really, I'm coming in and trying to change the culture as much as I possibly can to change the expectation, to change the standards that we set within, within the teams, the training environment, um, and just try to give people a better perspective of, you know what the top level is uh, in global soccer because as you know and, and we've had conversations about it like we soccer here like we're we're in a bubble we we just don't know you know people don't realize what it actually takes to reach the top level of the game so it, it's it's different in that way. I mean you still ha- I still was trying to do that at, at LAFC as well, but you know the players that you're working with uh, they're more serious just naturally Um, the expectations from the people who work within the franchise uh, you know, the standards are are just different, but my time at LAFC, I learned a lot going through that process of building um, that first team. You know, I, I had to come in and and build the roster and that was that, was a difficult task. You know, It's just me and I'm going up against the Galaxy. That was the year that they just started the U12 uh, age group for the DA. And, you know, I'm trying to get players and Galaxy and myself are after the same, same players. So it's like, okay, how do I, how do I craft my recruiting message to, to beat these guys over there? So it, it was hard, but man, I, I learned a ton from that. And I'm, I'm so much more well-prepared now uh, in, in my work these days, you know, I, I feel so much more confident and comfortable in the recruiting process, the team building, the, the culture building. Um, unfortunately, you know, my time there was short. Uh, I, I think it just went in a direction that wasn't suited for me. Uh, but, you know, it, I take responsibility for, uh, you know, not being able to adapt to a new direction. You know, I don't I don't agree with everything that happened, but you know at, at the end of the day, I take responsibility for for what happened. It was me, my my ab- my lack of ability to adapt, you know, that's completely one hundred percent on on me. so but it, it's definitely uh, now that I'm two two years out from that, two and a half years out from that, I look back and I, I see it only as a positive, you know, like the experience that I gained, the things that I've learned, I'm so much more well-equipped as a coach now.
0: When you say adapt, are you referring to like things that they were trying to make you change or things that they were trying to make you do? And I think you kind of hinted at it that you didn't necessarily agree with. And, and I guess a follow up question to that would be looking back now, you know, two years removed. Do you think that making those changes or making those adaptations would have benefited you more or less to kind of the situation that you're in now?
1: Uh, It it was it was a difficult situation because, you know, I was the first coach that that was hired. So, you know, we didn't there wasn't necessarily a a methodology or or a real clear cut identity already in place that I was coming into. I I kind of had the freedom to establish that from the beginning. So, you know, I had my views of football and everybody has everybody's view of football is different. Nobody's view is exactly the same. You know, we all see it differently. So I, I went in there and I was doing things, you know, how I'd been doing them in, in the years past. And we were doing well uh, on the field, you know, results maybe were up and down, but it, it was the beginning of the process. We were building an identity on the field. And and in my opinion and feedback that I got was it was it was clear what we were trying to do. And we were – when people would watch us, it was like, okay, you – you can see what you guys are trying to do. So our identity was very clear cut. And, and again, it was the beginning of, of that process. So it wasn't perfect, but it was a good starting point. And then things started to change quickly. You know, um, other people become involved. I mean, that, that was always going to happen. I was never just going to be the only person. And uh, what was difficult for me was, you know, I, I've always been very uh, mindful of when I watch the game and I watch other coaches, like what what is their plan on the field? What is the identity that they're trying to implement? And I'm open to these things, you know? Uh, if I wasn't open to different opinions of the game, I wouldn't be where I am now. Uh, wh- what I struggled with was I didn't know what the – idea was going forward so you know i was told that i was going to have to do things you know potentially differently and i was cool with that um i just didn't like the way that it was explained to me i didn't understand i didn't know what we were trying to do and so i was confused it it made me uncomfortable and i think the leadership style at times uh made me feel out of place so again though I take full responsibility for that. That's that's all me, and maybe my inexperience working within, you know, uh, a staff environment because the years prior in club soccer, you know, no one. I wasn't really working with other coaches. It's it's you. You have your teams. You're you're recruiting. You're identifying the players that you need. You're on the training field with the players. So it was different, and I had trouble identi- adapting to those things um but yeah like i said it 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 was frustrating at the time and it was very difficult to deal with you know being completely transparent i i struggled you know after that experience i i questioned myself i doubted myself um i even thought you know okay i've kind of made it to the top of youth soccer and this was my experience so I questioned if that was what I really wanted to do for the rest of my life, you know, because I'm ambitious. I, I have big objectives within coaching and I just I stopped seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. And when that happens, you know, you it's difficult. It's difficult to get up in the morning and continue to stay hungry and, and push yourself. Uh, so it was hard. It was hard. But now that time has passed, uh, you know, I've I've healed over time and again i'm i'm enjoying it i'm enjoying it a lot and i'm thankful for those experiences because of you know what what i know now
0: and throwing the fact that i think jamie was pregnant at that time and then shortly after you have a you have a baby girl so it's like if you're going through that that doubting process or that questioning process that's a rough, that's a rough time to be going through that. <laughs> if you're, yeah,
1: <laughs> we, we found out that Jamie was pregnant, you know, a few months before my time at LAFC was up and, and, you know, I, I kind of felt it coming, you know, at LAFC, it just, it, it was just uncomfortable. And I think just the vibes I, I could feel it. So, you know, I was super excited about, you know, the new addition to the family, but yeah, man, it was Extremely stressful. Extremely stressful because it's like, okay, I, I have another person that I need to support now—a baby girl. I, I got to make sure she's taken care of. You know what? What am I gonna do going forward? And you're absolutely right—that that added on to the pressure and and the doubt in my mind that I was experiencing.
0: And then you you, if I remember right, you went like a few months with with kind of like. Uh, I don't want to say no, no coaching on your plate, but it, it was a little bit before you actually landed at Galaxy, right? If I if I remember right, yeah,
1: mm-hmm. so- yeah. There was a couple months where uh, I was just doing like private training, and there was a local AYSO team that that I was working with, uh, like four and five year old boys. Uh, I I told them that I would help them through their spring season, do one one maybe two training sessions per week. So I was just kind of doing stuff uh, you know around around my home working with people who I was in contact with over the years and they're always they you know I consistently get hit up about training group training private training so that's kind of what I did to fill fill my plate over the next 3 months after LAFC and then yeah the, the Galaxy thing worked out
0: Did did you learn anything from that that time between LAFC and and Galaxy about Either the sport itself or yourself uh, as a coach, but I'm, I'm sure that that three month period must have must have taught you something.
1: Yeah, you know, it, the lessons that I learned from the LAFC experience didn't happen till long after, maybe like a year, maybe even more. But you know that that time that I was working with the little kids and the private training, I hadn't done that in a while. You know, being in being at LAFC. Before that, I was very focused on building my teams at, at another local club. But that that experience with like four and five-year-old boys, um, I, I really gained a different perspective on you know the development process and kind of what what players need at different points of their career. So at the, the very beginning stages of a player's career, you know, when they're just starting to play what, what is it that they need? And I, I went through a trial and error process with them and I was, I came to the, the realization that decision-making was the most important thing, you know? So I build, I build exercises, you know, of course they need technique, right? They, they're not comfortable with a soccer ball. They're, they've just learned how to kick it, you know? So building exercises to make sure that they're comfortable, they're learning to get comfortable with the ball. They're learning the basics of, you know, body shape, passing, receiving, how to dribble the ball, but also incorporating the decision-making process. And in a few months, it was pretty evident, man. They they would connect two or three passes. And, you know, I'm sure as you know, at that age, it's just one kid has the <laughs> ball and everyone's just, you know, running to the ball around them and it's just a disaster. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's so funny you mentioned that because just this last weekend, so Saturday, Sunday, this week, um, I coached my first U six games, <laughs> and I had I had yeah. one kid I had one kid who scored the majority of our goals, and then one kid who liked to lay down on the field for most of the game, <laughs> and, <laughs> and then I had one girl or actually both the girls on the it's coed uh, and both the girls on the team are super shy, and so it's like they'll run towards the ball, and then as soon as they get like anywhere near the person that has it, they kind of just stop, and then like not like. You know how kids like they'll run and they'll jump and protect themselves if somebody's gonna like kind of launch it. Uh, yeah, they do that, but before the the kid even shapes up like they're gonna kick it, like they just get scared before anything even happens. It's pretty funny. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, the this this U this U six experience for me is is yeah the same thing like you said. It's it's teaching me a lot about what the uh, what the development process kind of needs from the start and that's some place that I haven't been in a very 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 long time. So it kind of helps put things in in perspective for me. But mm-hmm. I I was I was trying to I was trying to see how that might have shaped your next steps. So I don't know I don't know if I've ever talked to you about it but like how how did the galaxy thing even come about and and what did you ultimately end up doing for those guys?
1: Uh so I I got in contact with the Galaxy not too long after the LAFC thing, but it, it took a few months, 3 I'd say three to four months uh, before you know I actually got in there and sat down with them. There were discussions over the phone and stuff prior. Um, so, yeah, about May of last year, uh, I started and I was, I was a scout for the academy. Um, So my role was, you know, helping to identify and find players uh, from the U12 age to the U14 age group. So the younger age groups at the academy. Um, And, you know, I I made a lot of sacrifice because I really wanted to prove myself uh, over there. And so I actually I didn't I didn't work other than that. I would I was still doing the private training stuff. And I was still working with the recreational team, but I would go into the StubHub Center in the morning. Uh, I'd be there most of the day, uh, just helping out in training sessions as much as I possibly could, uh, trying to get a, a feel for, you know, what, what they wanted, what the coaches wanted in, in players, um, you know, the the vision that they were implementing with their teams. So it, and you know I, it was a part-time job i was really only being compensated for my time scouting but you know i i wanted to make that sacrifice because i i was hungry and that's where i wanted to be and it was good experience i i really enjoyed the staff there um you know i learned a lot from those guys uh it was a lot of fun they they, they accepted me i felt accepted you know they brought me in they They included me in the training sessions. They included me sometimes with with Galaxy 2. and uh, It was good to just be around that after the experience at LAFC. Um, Yeah, I mean, I was there for probably 10 months uh, helping with the scouting. Um, But, you know, ultimately, I I had to, again, with with the baby in mind, um, I had to make a difficult decision. I wanted to be coaching. And so that ultimately led me to you know ending my time there and, and heading with this new project at Pram
0: and and coming from your time at LFC where you, you were pretty much I mean not pretty much you were the only coach at one time in the organization and you said that adapting to working within a staff was one of the more difficult parts um that you that you kind of had to learn when you when you jump ship and you and you went over to Galaxy And you got a chance to see the inner workings of not only the academy, but you said Galaxy too, and maybe even a little bit of the first team. Were there any like noticeable differences between LAFC and Galaxy? And if so, maybe like what, what stood out the most to you about how each kind of handled themselves?
1: Yeah, at Galaxy, I think it was, uh, it was easier for me to adapt there. I mean, obviously I was aware of my shortcomings at LAFC, and so, you know, in the months building up to me starting at, at Galaxy, I I really reflected on that and knew that okay, this is another opportunity for me. I can't make those same mistakes. But going into the Galaxy, uh, you know, it, it was clear they they had a they had a vision of how they wanted their teams to play, uh, and and how they would. Recruit and identify the players to fit within that vision. So, you know, seeing that, having a good understanding of of that, made it a lot easier for me. um You know, as long as there's a plan and I, I can understand the plan, then I'm all good. You know, I'm, I'm. As coaches, I think we we identify mentors. I mean, it could be people that were. Where we see face to face, we have conversations with in person, and there's mentors that we we watch on the internet, on TV. You know, we watch games on TV, and you just you just pick things that you like from from all these different uh, different areas, and you just add it to your arsenal, and that's what makes you and as a coach and your vision. Um, so I I learned a lot from the guys at the Galaxy. Obviously, I had I'd had time with Brian in the past. Mike Munoz was fantastic. Uh, the the younger coaches, I picked up some things from them as well. So it it was a good experience overall for me. I learned a lot.
0: You learned a lot from Danny Rogers, huh?
1: Yeah, hey, I, <laughs> I, I, I learned things from everybody. You know, I really do.
0: That's good. That's good. Um, one of the things that somebody said to me recently, and, and this is going to kind of change the direction of the conversation, actually, just letting you know, um, was that, the experience at LEFC is still to this day, because this person mentioned this to me a, a few weeks ago, uh, like building a plane when it's already in flight. And that's kind of, I, I feel like, the experience that you might have had. It's like, okay, like you were you were the first coach, and then they were trying to build everything around you while you were already going. And so you had to kind of like learn, uh, learn on the fly, basically, is maybe a good way to put it. And... Mm-hmm and i guess where my where my head went exact where my head went when i heard that statement was how incredible it is that a team that's not even finished, you know, figuring out what it even is can just be given a, a spot in our first division in the united states it's just that was the immediate thought that i had in my mind and now you see these things like when when they take the field, it's like, okay, well, here's this team that has no history at all. And they're just trying to like figure it out on the field as they go. And everybody just seems to be okay with that. And so it's like when a team like at, Atlanta, you know, kind of rips them apart five zero, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, like we're, we're building and we're doing this and we're trying that. And it's just that, that to me is amazing. And and we kind of, you and I exchanged some text messages after that game and i think we were both on on the same uh kind of like in the in the same realm of thoughts where it's like the the defense is in in american soccer is atrocious but it's like how how do you expect it to be any different if you know the team is really still learning their identity they have they have no identity and i think one other thing i'll throw in here before i just I, i'm just like a brain dump i'm su- i'm super sorry oh um, <laughs> one thing i'll throw out there too is that you you had mentioned something about like you know what is their identity and i think you got you got questioned about that tweet as well um you know asking like to for them to just say it like what what are you guys trying to do what what is the work that you guys are trying to accomplish and yeah. people don't like when you ask that question. So I guess choose whatever, <laughs> whatever way you want to go with what I just said and, and, and take it and run with it, man. Cause I went on a tangent. Yeah. Sorry.
1: I'll, no, it's all good. I'll, I'll try to de- kick, kick the different things in there that, and give my opinion. Um, yeah. You know, when you, when you're just starting, you, you have to go through experiences, you know, that that's where you're going to learn. Uh, when you first start, it's not going to be excellent. It's not going to be great. You know, you, you have to, uh, as you go, you, you, you learn, you become better. But that was one thing that I struggled with a little bit was, you know, people were talking about, you know, doing this and doing that. And it, I, I understood like, okay, it's going to be a process and we, it's going to take time and, you know, we're going to learn, and there was maybe unrealistic expectations a little bit, uh, in my opinion. But yeah, you know, I think the meritocracy is important. I think that that's how that's how excellence uh, forges itself. You know, if you're just sort of handed an opportunity uh, based on things outside of merit, uh, you you maybe get the wrong ideas. Um, and maybe a false sense of, of security. And, you know, so my opinion is, yeah, I I think that if we want to become a global superpower, like we 100% have the potential to do, uh, it has to be more merit-based, uh, people, you know, the ones that are hungry are going to rise to the top based on their quality, based on earning it instead of things being handed. And I think that that's what we see in the mentality overall in our soccer landscape is we lack you know that that hunger that that personality of like f you get out of my way i'm getting to the top i'm gonna do whatever it takes we're we're missing that and we see a lot of softness uh in all aspects of our soccer landscape um the tweet yeah so i i tweeted out uh, something along the lines of you know I, I was curious to see what Bob Bradley's uh, version of quote unquote real football was you know he he had said in an interview that you know uh, that he felt that laFC at laFC we were going to see some real football and you know someone's opinion of real football can be different than another person's opinion of real football so i was genuinely curious and i think people maybe took my my tweet the wrong way like i was trying to criticize bob that that's not what i was doing i was i was genuinely curious because i'd seen some of his work at swansea um and you know that was a rough situation to come into and you know you you have a short amount of time you know the pressure's on you got to get results the the ownership or expecting to to not get relegated uh, so it's difficult and you know, seeing his work there, and then now him coming to LAFC and and talking about you know real football. I, I'm still curious. I want to see you know what that ends up being over the course of maybe you know the next two or three seasons because it, it takes time. You know, I'm not I'm not going to judge from one game, but but yeah, that's that's what I meant you know by by that tweet and the defensive part. You know, yeah, we had that conversation. It's like. I don't know. I I look around the entire landscape here in America, professional youth. um, And from what I see, and this is my view, there seems to be a real lack of emphasis on defending. You know, we are, we look towards the champions league. We look towards the best leagues in the world and we see these attacking teams and everyone's just so excited by the way that these teams play And so we now here, we're we're wanting to see that attacking, you know, play as well. But we're forgetting about the defensive end. And to be one of the best teams in the world, those teams in the Champions League, you know, the Barcelonas, the Real Madrids, they are are good on both sides of the ball. It's not just the attacking part. And, you know, you have to be great at both if you're going to be successful. And I think that that's what's missing. You know, the team defending aspect here uh, in America is just something I don't, I don't see, I don't see at the moment, you know, hopefully in the next few years, uh, that becomes more of an emphasis and, and we see, uh, we see results.
0: One of the things that we've, that we've also talked about is, and actually I talked a lot about it in my C course that I recently took with some coaches as well. And anybody that takes the C course is probably familiar with the same, uh, what, wow, oh, fucking a, what teams were it? Like new york red bulls youth academy versus charlotte or something like that that was the game that they used for for like all the video assignments and whatnot but it's like one of the topics or one of the the pieces of the course is about team defending and it's like well okay if we want to talk about defending let's talk about their their attacking style as well so like when they're when they are attacking with the ball it's like a, just a bunch of random chaos that's happening and so when the ter- when the ball gets turned over you know you have all these players that are all on different pages they have no idea where where each other are at and it's just like a bunch of randomness and then you have to somehow kind of get organized and and play defense you know on a, on a moment's notice and so you see that at the at the top level of the american game as well so in mls you see this emphasis like you said on wanting to play this attack minded you know kind of fast go forward kind of Maybe like a little bit fancy or flashy at times, type of soccer, but what that turns into is like super risky, uh, super risky defensive starting positions. And so when the ball gets turned over, it's like you are in no man's land a lot of the times as a, as a now a defender, and that is something that I think doesn't get enough credit at the highest levels. When you look at a, like a Man City or Bayern Munich or Real Madrid, it's like when those guys have the ball, they're they're also defending with the ball. It's like they're they're setting themselves up in amazing positions so that when they lose it, they can either just win it right back, or, you know, they're not gonna be, you know, super worried about a counter or the other team being in a dangerous position. And that is something that I've been more mindful of recently, and I've been noticing more recently that 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 specific aspect of the game is completely missing in major league soccer. I, I have not seen one team that is that is even adequate at that, so I don't know a if thousand, that's something. Somebody...
1: A, <laughs> a thousand percent, man. No, it, it, you know the MLS is bringing in these these younger attacking players, right? And they're good. They they have, you know, they're decent players. A lot of them from South America, you know, individually they, they're talented. And but you're right, like yeah, the 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 emphasis on attacking soccer uh, if if your whole team, all eleven, well excluding the goalkeeper. I mean, well, I guess you can include the goalkeeper as well. If you aren't staying connected and limiting the space to where if you turn it over, you know, there's giant spaces all over the field, you're in trouble, you know? So going forward, yeah, you have to think about, okay, what if we lose the ball? If we lose the ball, you know, are there spaces that we're leaving open for the opponent to take advantage of? That I think you're right. I think that that's what's missing Uh, in the game in the game here that team defending aspect but thinking about uh, thinking about it while you are in possession of the ball and even even in the top in the Champions League it's it's interesting like like PSG for example attacking wise they're fantastic you know they got Neymar Cavani Mbappe but they they haven't been able to really get past I, I believe it's the quarterfinals maybe they made it to the semifinals one year but you know, with with the roster that they have, they they haven't made it to a final. They're not consistently getting to the semifinals, and you would maybe expect that. But it's how they're they're defending as a team. You know, when I watch, I, I see like they they're not as anywhere near as good as Barcelona, as at that specific thing. You watch Barcelona, the back line, their movements. You could tell it's been rehearsed over and over and over again. They ne- they never shut off. You know, they are hardly shut off. They're staying connected to the players, the attacking players, as they have the ball. They're advancing it up the field to where if they lose it, they can quickly take away the space from the opponent so that they can't quickly attack. You know, Barcelona is one of the best. At it. I think Real Madrid is good at it as well. And I think that th- there's a direct correlation, you know, b- between that and the ex- the success that they've been having in Europe over the last decade. So it's super fascinating. And, and you know, I, I want... I want MLS, I want American soccer overall, the quality to be good. I want us to produce good players where they're going to the, the national team and, and we're doing well. So I'm hoping, you know, over the next five, ten years that, that we we see improvements in these areas.
0: Hey, but, but one of the things that never really gets talked about is that Is that the okay? So Barcelona, for instance, right? Everybody's favorite example when it comes to anything soccer. Okay, so Barcelona has a clear plan for for every single not not every single game, but every single moment of every single game, so that everybody is on the same page. Everybody knows exactly how each situation can play out or should play out, and that is almost frowned upon here in American soccer and and especially with this kind of new education pathway that us soccer's unrolling or unveiling um it's more of like this kind of just like let them play and let them you know let the let the players make all the the decisions and uh which which, okay i I agree with like players should understand and 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 know how to make these types of decisions 100 percent agree with that right but yeah at some point, there needs to be a clear plan in place. And so, when you mention something like like patterns or you know rehearsing or or those types of things, people for whatever reason think of those as red flags. When it should be the exact opposite. Like that, those are all good markers. If a coach is going that far as to plan, you know what blade of grass all the all the players should stand on at the highest level of the game, that those are those are absolute good things. And that's what you know. That's what turns a good attacking team into a good defending team like Barcelona, for instance, right? So yeah. if, if, Jordi, if Jordi, if Jordi Apple is going to go on a, you know, a 40 yard run, which he does quite often, right. And, and Messi finds him with a big diagonal ball. Okay, great. That's all been rehearsed. And everybody knows exactly where they need to be in that specific moment. When you watch that happen in major league soccer, you see, you know, an outside back, a, a, a go on, you know, some, some run 40 yards down the field you don't you don't see any you don't see any plan after that it's like okay cool like there's one action during the game and nobody really knows what to do after that and then you know it's it's a turnover and and who knows what's gonna happen next that's I yeah. see that I see that way too often and I don't see like I said earlier I don't see anybody that's even adequate at defending or getting into good defending positions while they still have the ball they're they're not I, I don't know if if they're not mindful of it is the right way to say it, which just yeah. maybe, maybe they're mindful of it and they're not good at it, or maybe they're not mindful of it at all. I, I, I really don't, I don't know how to describe it at this point. And yeah. it's just, it's just something that maybe, you know, the people that are listening to this podcast, maybe, Hey, you can keep an eye on it and throw out your opinion when, when you catch something as well. Let's, you know, let's, let's, let's all be more mindful of watching those types of things and, and analyzing those types of, or those, those moments of the game.
1: Yeah. It's all connected. Attack, defense, it's all connected. And the best, the best indicator, right? And we've talked about this many times. The best indicator of what's going on behind the scenes in training and whatnot is what's going on on the field in games. You of know, course. What, what's the product on the field? And I think, I think you're right. I think, um, you know, American soccer, and, and I wouldn't limit it just to MLS, I, I see this a lot in the youth game as well. Of course. It, it it seems like, you know, when the team has the ball, they're strictly thinking about attacking. Uh, and they aren't prepared to defend. Because, I mean, if you don't react fast enough, like say say the team is, they're all just maximizing the space. They're all stretched out. Well, if you lose it, there's a lot of room for the opponent. So... You know, there, there has to, you have to prepare yourself, like, you know, with 3-4-3, the, the curriculum, when we're building out of the back. If the left back has the ball, the, the right center back and the right back are tucked in to protect against the counterattack if the ball is lost. I don't see that a lot, you know, on the weekends, watching games on TV in America or watching the youth games. I don't see that opposite side, outside back or center back tucked in thinking about okay if we lose the ball i'm here to protect against any counter attack protecting the middle of the field so that we don't give up any opportunities on goal that seems to be missing it's just you know attack we're all big we're all maximizing the space and then oh oh shit we lost it oh fuck, i gotta run 20 yards to get to where i need to be well a good team is going to punish you for that that's just that's the reality you know so yeah i i, I think you're right man and These are the things that I think, you know, coaches have to be aware of. And I'll be honest, you know, when I first started, uh, you know, implementing this three, four, three methodology and the, the exercises, I wasn't aware of that. You know, I had to go through the process of giving up goals. It's like, damn, you know, we're, we're doing so good with the ball, but we're giving up goals. What the hell's going on? And I had to really sit there and watch go back over the tapes and, and, you know, watch games a little more closely. And I, little by little, I figured it out. You know, I had to do a better job in training of preparing my team uh, to, to protect the spaces on the field if we lost it. And it, it's, it's, it's funny the last like two years, I'd say I'd, I've been more focused on the defensive aspect of the game and not making sure that my teams don't concede, uh, you know, cause the first couple, two three years of using the methodology, um, you know, we we keep the ball very well. We create good chances on goal, but we were still giving up a lot of chances on our on our own goal. So, you know, that that's been a part of my my coaching arsenal that I've been trying to improve the defensive part of the game. And and you know, going over with my teams. Okay, look, I, I like to break it down in thirds. You know, there's the attacking third, there's the middle third, there's the defensive third. And I tell my teams, you know, in each third, we have a way of defending. You know, attacking third, let's press. If the opponent has the ball close to their goal, let's press. We choreograph it. We rehearse. Everybody knows their assignments, what they're supposed to do. There's cues that they look for. If they somehow break our press and, and they're, you know, they get to the middle third, okay, we have to be smart. You know, we, if we have a midfield three, one player applies pressure to the ball. That's the closest to the ball. Try to delay to let everyone else get in the correct positions so that we can continue to protect the spaces. And the other two midfielders are, are supporting, you know, we rehearse that. And then I just recently added an activity for, uh, defending in our defensive third. Cause I, I that wasn't a part of my methodology. Um, and I realized that I needed to add that.
0: So I'm, I'm curious about what, what that actually is though. And it's funny that you mentioned that because, there there are like certain things i don't want to say left out but there there are certain things that that aren't in the 343 methodology and defending in, in the defending third is one of those things um and it's not because it's not an important part of the game but if if other things are done right your time defending in the defending third is or probably should be pretty limited Um, and, and I'm really, I'm really curious to, to hear about why you decided to add this in and, and, and how you're actually implementing it.
1: Yeah, you're, you're right. If the team does well with the pressure pressing up high, you know, a lot of times you force the opponent into playing a long ball. And, you know, if you're positioned correctly, a lot of those long balls fall to your back line. They bring you out of the air and then we start building again. And it's very difficult for the opponent to get out of their half. But, you know, I would come up against opponents that were very difficult and they were very good. So it was it was tough. And I over time, I, I just realized, you know, we, we don't have a good enough plan. When we're defending in our defensive third in front of our goal. I have to add that you know I, I have something for each third when we have the ball and then the the attacking third when we're defending and the middle third when we're defending so I was missing that that final piece so it, it, and it's taken me years to add it and that that's on purpose you know I've really spent a lot of time trying to master the other parts um i mean i I don't like to just add stuff just to add stuff Uh, i used to but my experience (laughs) with brian and gary and and watching uh top level games has given me a completely different perspective um it's just been i'd say it's been a five six year process and i'm just now adding that piece you know because i wanted to really uh have a good understanding of teaching the other parts and even even now with my new teams um we're only the the, when we're rehearsing and choreographing we're only working on building out of the back and defending in the back that's it you know i've had these teams for three months and that's where we're at we're we're trying to build a, a foundation there and then we'll layer on the other stuff as we go but if i jump around too much uh you know, we'll, we'll just be average at, at each piece of it. But yeah, that, that defending in the in the defensive third was just the final piece, I think, to uh, our overall playing identity that I knew eventually I had to add. And so, yeah, I felt it was time.
0: <laughs> one, one tweet that I saw this morning before before I jumped on the phone with you, was from somebody, I think he's a like, brand new 343 member, if I'm not mistaken. Um, mm-hmm. But he he sent out a question on Twitter asking coaches, uh, when you're cooking up your your training session, what ingredients are you looking to use? And I, res- I responded with the ones that I've been using for years and that I'm super familiar with and the players are familiar with, something along those yeah. lines. Because that that's... Where you're gonna find more success if you're if if you want to compare it to cooking, right? Uh, and and recipes, okay. Like if you if you want to, you know, try new recipes all the time, and say like one week you're gonna cook chicken, and the next week you're gonna cook beef, and the next week you're gonna cook ribs or, so, or something like that. It's like yeah, like you know, you can cook all those things, but are you gonna become like really really good at cooking those meals? or Are you just gonna you know? be okay at cooking them that's maybe a terrible analogy maybe maybe it's a good analogy i was i'm doing terrible at using it but um but yeah it, it makes more sense to use the same ingredients and to use the same things over and over and over again so that we you can master them and yeah i think a lot of times coaches myself included and i think you said yourself included as well especially when we're brand new we're we're looking to try you know a whole bunch of shit that doesn't make any sense to, you know, the long-term development of the players and the best, the best recipe that you can use or that you can have for long-term development is to use, you know, the same simple uh, digestible exercises and messages over the course of, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six years. And I think that's why you see certain coaches at the very top level Having a lot of success because they're very they're very comfortable with their message and it's very dialed in, and you see coaches in the youth landscape that have been doing the same thing for years and years and years, and they're they are having success. So it's it's very hard to to argue with with uh, or against that way of thinking. And right. I don't know if anybody does try to argue against it, but uh, maybe they do. I don't know.
1: Yeah, and again, back to the best indicator is is the product on the field. You know, yep. I I continue to to live by the philosophy as a coach that less is more, and yep. I really try to narrow my my exercises down as much as I can. You know, I I use the rondos, the little keep away games, uh, to improve the technique, to improve the decision making parts of the players, and you can also. Do positional play within those rondos as well. Outside of that, you know, maybe I, I don't use Bosco's as much, I'll be honest, because I, I try more to have defenders involved as much as possible so that there is that decision making aspect involved in the exercise. Um, and then the rest is choreography. So it's rondos sort of uh, crafted to work on, you know, the specific things that I feel like we need. And then okay the the different the thirds of the field when we have it when we don't have it that's what we're working on over and over and over and over again and it's a long it's a long process to get to you know where you want to go and where you want your product to be on the field and you know i i'm confident in in my work but at the same time i'm i know that i i can get more you know i can get more out of the teams i can get more out of the players and i can get more out of myself i'm it's a constant learning process. You never stop learning.
0: Have you ever had a conversation with like another coach and asked them to to like describe your way of playing? Like, if they ever played against you, or has has any has any coach ever given you the type of feedback that would maybe describe your style of play?
1: Um, I've had conversations where you know uh, there was feedback sort of generally about you know what they saw uh but when you you know you just watch one game that's probably all the feedback that you can give whereas if you're watching consistent games you can give better feedback you know so so yeah i've, I've had conversations after games where i've i've gotten feedback from a coach who maybe you just watched that one game and they saw this and that and you know i take that to mind but you know the players myself were in it every day you know, so you have to put that into perspective when, when you get feedback, take what you need, but also understand, you know, that person, they may have just watched that one game where you're in it every day. You just have to be self-aware, you know, you got to have the awareness and you got to have, you got to be humble about, about your work. If you're going to improve and you're going to get better.
0: And the, the reason why I asked that is because I'm thinking back to the conversation we had about like defensive positioning and whatnot. And yeah. I, I remember when I was coaching a, a girls high school team we were in the state playoffs or whatever regional playoffs whatever it's called and uh, after the game so we lost we lost two to one in, in the playoffs we got knocked out and after the game the, the local newspaper interviewed the the visiting coach and I think they were from somewhere down in LA and, and he had kind of he, he gave us a, a very good review to the newspaper and and said like Coming in, we knew that they were a good possession-based team. But then he threw in something that I, I had never thought about before, which now after you know, a couple of years removed, it makes sense, is that he, he said they were really good at counterattacking. And I would have never described my own team as being good at counterattacking. But what it really was is that when we would turn the ball over, the other team, we would put so much pressure on the other team right away that they would turn it over very quickly, and then we had a plan in place that would allow us to go to goal quick, but I would have never described us as a counterattacking team, and so getting that feedback or, or hearing that from somebody outside of you know, my regular circle or my, my, my circle where I would usually go to for, for advice or for feedback was eye-opening to me. And, and that's one thing that I think coaches maybe need more of, I don't know if they need more of, but they need to seek out opportunities to get, you know, critical feedback because and I can say this from experience too, that, you know, accepting feedback is, is not always easy and it's not always what you want to hear, but I think it's, it's good for, I think it's good for growth though. So I was just curious how, or if you'd ever had that experience, um, and, and if, uh, And if that impacted anything, uh, in the way that you do things now, or if it impacted the way you, you ran your sessions or delivered your message or any part of that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I can't like nail down a specific example, but I know for sure, you know, over, over time I've had conversations with people and they maybe point something out and that's, what's cool about different opinions, different views of the game someone can bring something to your attention that maybe you didn't, you didn't see before. And then you can really hone in on that area of your own identity and try to make it better, you know, or, or you're just now more aware of it. Yeah. I've, that's happened to me. I'd say a handful of times where just in conversations with other people after games, or, I mean, it could be weeks after they watched a game or something that we have a conversation and, things just get brought to my attention that maybe I didn't think about before. And it's, it's helped me. It's helped me improve. It's not necessarily like, Oh, you should do this and you should do that. It's just, it's just an open conversation about, Hey, you know, yeah, I saw that you were doing this and that, and this player would do, and maybe you pick something out of that conversation. Like, Oh shit. You know what? I never thought about it that way. Or I never, I never saw that aspect of, you know, this part of our play. And you're able to hone in and and try to focus more on that, maybe improve it a little bit more. So yeah, for sure, those conversations are good.
0: One of the other f- fun things I had the experience of doing lately or, or recently was uh, seeing myself uh, on video and and recorded uh, coaching a, a session, which was that was during the C course and and I think you've gone through that experience too. But man, that was yeah. fucking eye, that was fucking eye opening for me too. And if anything. Uh, <laughs> I I I'm I'm I gotta figure out how I want to say this. I think more coaches need to go through that experience and put themselves in their players' shoes, listening to their own message. So, like if yeah, if if you think that you you know your shit from and and you're just you know spewing gold from the sideline every time that you open your mouth, uh, I think that you need to record yourself and listen to your own message. And this isn't like some you know, uh public service announcement for making sure coaches stay quiet or anything like that. Uh, Absolutely not. It's it's the exact opposite. Coaches should be speaking up. They should be loud, but they should fucking know what they're saying. And the, and the message should be what you've actually been working on in training versus, you know, just kind of narrating whatever's happening during the game. I think a lot of times coaches are narrators and, and, they don't understand exactly what they're saying and how that is impacting their players but if a coach is on point with leading their players through the things that they have trained and the things that they, that they know that the players understand that is super valuable and i think it comes down to coaches yeah hearing themselves or or understanding you know what what they're actually saying and that will help them dial in their own message to their players. So that, those, those two experiences have been super valuable for me is getting getting critical feedback from from other coaches, and then now more recently, hearing my own hearing my own style of coaching, you know, through a microphone, which is eye opening, I guess to say the least.
1: Yeah, a thousand percent, man. I I remember doing that part of the C course, and I I was actually pretty relaxed and comfortable going into it but it's only because i'd had experience you know when we filmed some of our 343 stuff i've been mic'd up and i've you know I've, i was recorded and but when those first couple times oh, i was nervous as hell you know and <laughs> i i had the opportunity i think a couple times to go back and watch it so just that little bit of experience kind of prepared me a tad bit more for when i did do the c course i was like ah, okay i've done this before but no yeah going back and listening to like the words that you use, how you deliver the message. Is it, is it simple? And you know, can, can whatever age you work with, can they understand it? Super, super valuable man. But in, in you know, not a lot of coaches get the opportunity to do that because you got to have the equipment and got to have someone there who's filming. If you do, Oh, that's a very valuable tool.
0: One thing that I always go back to, well, I mean, I have I have experience with trying to run a podcast with you know very well, with zero budget and minimal equipment at times. Um, so I've I've found ways to improvise how to record. And I remember talking to uh, to a coach a long time ago, and he's like, "Oh, I don't have the equipment to record my training sessions. So how am I supposed to review them?" I was like, "Dude, you absolutely have the equipment. If you have an iPhone or you know any anything, just." have a player that's sitting out or an injured player or a parent you know just record the session you don't need the audio necessarily um just get the video from your session and and you're able to review it even if it's 2 minutes you know 2 minutes is better than nothing and then I started yeah. to think about it the other day my my buddy uh my buddy Gabe that's in video production uh he used to make commercials for a local board shop and when they needed to record sound, what they would do is they would just wear uh, pocket t-shirts or uh, collared shirts with had you know the front pocket on them, and they would slip the phone or an iPhone in the pocket of the shirt so it would record their voice, and that would became the oh, wow. audio f- that that became the audio for the commercial. And so I'm thinking, you know, I, actually I was thinking this weekend while I was out um, watching some of the games that that I had to be at it's like how valuable would that be if a coach just you know maybe 10 minutes you know maybe the first 10 minutes of the game just stuck his iPhone you know in his shirt pocket and recorded the first 10 minutes of the audio of his of his message and how valuable that would be with no video just listening to the first 10 minutes of what the coach is saying during the game to me that would be a, a super valuable exercise that everybody could easily accomplish easily accomplish yeah. so yeah you're thinking- right
1: you, you don't you don't need super fancy equipment you know i try to do the same i haven't done it lately but in the past yeah i would just stick my phone by me and just use the recording app to record my team talks at halftime after the game before the game and then i'd go back and review them and then another funny story when i was at fc man united so before i got to lafc uh one of the parents said that they were willing to to record and I was like, wow, shoot, we don't have equipment. Well he's like, yeah, I'll I'll just throw something together. So he he took a pool skimmer, you know, that the thing you use to clean your pool. Yeah. He took the pole, he took so he took the skimmer part off, he took the pole, and he he placed like a, a an iPhone or a an old camera, video camera that he had at the top of it, and he would put it up and, and he would actually, you know what? I take that back. So he had the camera on the top, his video camera. And then he had an app on his phone where he could actually see on his phone what he was shooting from the camera up above, and he would just record the games for us. And all my footage from, you know, my team at FC Man United came from that setup. So you, you just got to get creative.
0: <laughs> Seriously, no, that that's that's absolutely true. And what's funny is that uh, I I'm supposed to I've made contact and I've exchanged a couple emails with the guy that owns or created the iPod. And that is a tool that's been super valuable to Gary over the years, because that's what he's used. You know, it's that, that pod that he has has traveled all over the world to record these kids from the time they were nine years old until, you know, more recently, I think when they played in who'd they play man city, I think was the last game that they recorded LA galaxy yeah, versus man city down in like the Bahamas or something. So it's mm-hmm. like that, that hypod has been, you know, go, has gone all over the world. And Gary said, I, I, I don't know if he's ever said it on the podcast but he's told me multiple times that like buying that Hypod was he he bought that with his last dollars that he had to his name at the time and that yeah. was the that was the an investment that you know has now paid off but at the time it was just going to be a tool for for him and brian to use to evaluate their games and 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 things like that you do you need a pod? no you don't need a pod. you could use a pool skimmer like you said but yeah. you know, <laughs> but if you have access to something like that it's super valuable so if anybody that's listening to this you know, is looking for ideas for things like that. Okay, use a pool skimmer, use your iPhone, use a GoPro, use a parent, use an injured player, whatever you can. But, um, but it's it's super valuable. I liked I liked what you said too about recording your halftime talks. i never even thought about doing that, but that's that's a super it's a super good way and and very uh, non intrusive too. Like the players wouldn't even know that you are recording that if you just really? kind of set your phone down next to you. That that would be super that'd be super valuable.
1: Yeah. All that, all that content, it's priceless really, you know, it's so valuable, such a good tool to have. And you, yeah, just get, get creative. Once you create that content, I mean, you can use it in so many different ways. I've been lucky enough to be able to have video of, you know, my first job at the local club near my house and then at FC Man United uh, you know i had video content at, at lafc that i was able to skim through and, and evaluate myself and i, I now even have uh, a video of my la galaxy south bay team so i'd work i worked with them a few months ago uh they're affiliate of the la galaxy academy but i have video almost from every spot that i've been and i mean i don't i don't know if i'd be where i am today without all that content i really don't
0: Yeah, It's super valuable. I'm, I'm hesitant to say that I wouldn't be where I am today, but, uh, I don't know if I'm anywhere where I want to brag about. So,
1: (laughs) well, you put your, your position, but man, you, your knowledge, your experiences, that's, that's important too, man.
0: Yeah. Um, all right. I've, I've had you for an hour and I'm I'm curious if there's, if there's anything that's burning in your brain that you, that you want to talk about or that you want to get off your chest.
1: No, I, I think you know anyone that's listening. I'm I'm open. You know, hit me up on social media, Twitter, uh, my Instagram, my, my YouTube channel. I, I want to I want to be better about uh, conversing with people, interacting with people uh, across the country. Try to strengthen relationships with people out there. I've remained pretty quiet and pretty private, but uh, I think that. Now at this point in my career, that's something that I need to put a little more focus into. So, hit me up. I'll do the best that I can to to reply and, and help or answer questions or just talk, whatever it may be. So, yeah, I think that that's that's all I got to get off my chest.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny over over the last like two years or three years, you've been very measured with how you say things or what you what you decide to to go after, and it's funny to see. You now, even though like you don't have any reason to you know r- restrict yourself, you kind of still are. And, and maybe an example is from yesterday when what's his what's his fuck uh, uh, Leander is that his name? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Leander Leander takes a shot at at you know global soccer. Like he takes a shot at global soccer and you know to try to prop up mls and and those those guys they're fucking wordsmiths dude they they say something and then when when they get critiqued they wordsmith their way out of it and it's like one one of of the examples i think somebody somebody mentioned about i think him specifically was was that he is using that to prop up mls and he's like yeah but i didn't mention mls anywhere in there it's like yeah dude because you're a fucking wordsmith and and you you excluded it somehow but you know what your intention really was um and but the way so you you saw my reaction to this so i just gave my unfiltered reaction to it but yours your response was much more measured and you said hey why why do you choose to poke fun at the rest of the world you know just because you don't agree with the way that they do things so (laughs) i think you've you've done a much better job over the last couple years of learning how to uh how to control your, your reactions to those types of things where I'm still, I'm still learning how to shut my mouth at certain times.
1: It, it's hard, man. It's hard, you know, cause you know, there's emotion involved in it and we all have our own, our own views of things. But I think over time and my experiences with, you know, my jobs and people within the landscape, I, I realized like the perception of me was, uh, was not right but it but these people had a perception an incorrect perception of me because of you know maybe emotional reactions from me on social media where you know you, you don't know the tone you don't know the emotion behind it and you're just sort of making a judgment so I, I've tried to be more open-minded and maybe not I wouldn't say necessarily be nice but uh you know, present it in a way where I'm I'm sharing my views, but at the same time, uh, I'm not letting my my emotion, uh, you know, get too heavily involved in in what I say. I guess is the way I'd put it. Uh, it's it's but, hard. Know, th- I,
0: it's hard though. Like you said, like there there's emotion attached to this, and and that yeah. emotional that emotional component is is so frowned upon sometimes, and that's what bothers me the most is that. It, being emotional about the sport is sometimes used against you and that's very difficult for me for me to handle because i'm so emotional i I guess
1: yeah and and sometimes man when when i when i am measured i feel like joey you're you're full of shit you know you're (laughs) you're crafting your message you're crafting your message in a way like to protect yourself from you know these media people maybe coming back and responding and trying to attack and yeah. so it's it is hard it's very very difficult on social media and i think that that's why i've remained you know kind of off to the side a little bit i mean i do hop in there but not as heavily as i could and i think for those reasons that i just shared is why but i think i, I just want to share my experiences i want to continue to learn from those that i feel like are doing excellent work. Um, And so I, I need to interact with people more, maybe not, you know, go after the media so much because they're, they're ignorant to what global soccer is all about, but just maybe interact with those that, uh, you know, I, I can relate to and learn from and maybe help with my experiences.
0: Maybe I can end with this last question. It's something that I asked Danny la or when was it like two weeks ago? And so Dan, Danny's been coaching in the, in the DA, he's, he's with an MLS academy, very, very good situation for, you know, him to be in as a very young coach. Uh, I don't, I don't question the fact that he feels he, that he, that he feels fortunate. I think, I think that he feels fortunate to be in that position, but I asked him if he feels like he's taken full advantage of the situation that he's, that he's in and the experiences that he's had uh, so far as a young coach and so maybe uh, you can give me your take on that do you think that you took full advantage or that you're that you're taking full advantage of the situations that you've been presented so far in your coaching career
1: Uh, I'll be honest man you know I, I battle you know a lot of that human nature stuff where it's like Ah, I gotta get up. I gotta, you know, I gotta work. Uh, you know, sometimes I don't. So I wouldn't say I've taken complete advantages of all the opportunities uh, that I've had. You know, I'm I'm a human being. Yeah, I have my I have my flaws, but you know, overall my mentality over the years I've been super hungry and super ambitious. So I try to uh, I try to work as hard as I possibly can. You know, to to improve and when I haven't, I think what's important is when I haven't felt like I've taken advantage of the opportunities. I've learned from that. And I think that that's helped me prepare for what is to come, uh, in the future.
0: All right, man. Well, the future is to be determined. So I think we'll probably have to get on another podcast. I think what, what are we on now? We're like once a year, I think now, right?
1: Yeah, we're about once a year, man. I think we've done <laughs> 2015, 16. I don't know. We didn't do it in 17, so we're in 18. But yeah, we're pretty you're... we're pretty close to it.
0: Yeah. Um, no, you know what we did last year is we I think we recorded something uh, that went out to specific customers. I think it was it was uh, for the camp, right? Didn't we record something that went out to the, all the parents for the camp?
1: Yeah, you're, you're, you're right. We did.
0: That's right. So we didn't we didn't miss a year. Maybe we missed a year for public conversation, but, yeah, uh,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> uh but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll continue to do it. your, the episode that we recorded after one of your LAFC sessions is still to this day, one of the most downloaded episodes and people still yeah, ask cool. questions about that and still give feedback about that. Cause they wanted to hear more about like what, it, what went into the making of a, of a training session. And when I did a similar episode with Ian recently, the feedback was was the same like coaches are super into uh hearing about how to make a training session so maybe yeah. maybe in a couple weeks or a couple months or something we can get on the phone again you can walk us through a, a fram training session
1: for sure absolutely i'd love to do that And anybody out there who's curious just hit me up i'll, I'll share all my experiences to help you as much as i can i'm down
0: Alright, thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 Podcast. Thank you to Joey Cassio for coming on the show and telling a little bit of his story of navigating the U.S. soccer landscape. I don't know what other way to, to put that. Um, if you want to learn a little bit more about the journey that Joey's been on and learn a little bit about the exercises that he has been deploying with his teams over the course of the years, you can find most of that stuff in the 343 Coaching Education Program membership. And here is Tom Beyer to talk a little bit about his experience with taking one of our online courses.
1: And I can tell you, after someone who's done a lot of coaches education, both as a student as an instructor that you will learn more by watching one or two of their videos that you might learn on any full-time course. Because the, the one thing that I like about what they're presenting is, again, it's simplicity, man. It's very simple. It's not a lot of, you know, complicated words. It makes sense. And it goes right directly to the heart of, of, of the game on, on, on how, to, how to develop. Um, not just, you know, individual players, but develop teams as well.
0: You can find more information about the course that Tom took and the education that Joey has received by visiting 343coaching.com. That's the numbers three, four, and three, coaching, all spelled out, dot com. And while you're there, you can find all kinds of other stuff, really fun stuff, videos, eBooks, all kinds of stuff. Just go check it out. And we will catch you guys next time here on the 343 podcast. Thanks for listening.